This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. As an educator who works almost exclusively with high school students, I've found that the easiest way to get them to buy in is to treat them like an equal, to be present with them as the person that I am with my friends and family. Recently, there's been a lot of dialogue about forcing teachers to stay silent, whether about historical truth or their own personal identities. In this week's story, teller Byron Flitch shares how, by staying closeted to his own fourth grade class, he realized he was putting on the same mask he wore as a child, and that being his authentic self might teach his students a lesson that wouldn't be found in any textbook. Recorded live in Chicago in June 2021, Second Story is proud to present a class act. My fourth grade students whip their hula hoops to the blacktop, chuck kickballs in storage bins and lasso jump ropes into messy piles. It's the fastest I've ever seen them move. Suddenly, they swoop into a huddle around me like chirping chicks prepared to spill the most ultimate, hottest playground tea that was apparently brewed all about me. Mr. Byron, some kids say you're married. Is that true? I've been teaching for about six years at this progressive Californian elementary school tucked in a gorgeous mountain campus. And I love that it's unapologetically unconventional. Teachers aren't called teachers, they're advisors. Advisors go by their first names. We don't give out homework or grades. And our biggest flex, students' voices are heard, lifted even. It also just so happens that those little lifted voices are often spilling juicy gossip about advisors' personal lives. That, that's true. I'm married. I coolly shrug. What? Why didn't we know? Are you embarrassed? One student sasses over his glasses with hands on hips. Typically, I love yammering on about my marriage and husband. Ask me about him, Nate, and I'll gush all the goo because he is choice, grade A husband material. Plus, I spent many years of my life not really knowing if I would love myself, let alone find a healthy love to share. But even after all these years of teaching in a school where uniqueness and diversity and compassion are commonly celebrated, coming out to my students, to anyone in a school setting for that matter, causes a sloshy plunge in my gut that I'd often squeegee up with sponges and lies. No, I'm not embarrassed about being married. I attempt more mirages with my answers. And then the kids are like, well, then how long have you been married? And I say, about eight years. And they simultaneously coo, ooh, did you have a honeymoon? They ask. I say, yeah, we went to Greece. And they serenade, wow. And then one student, the one that likes to remind me that I look tired every day, asks, is she pretty? I knew that was coming. She, she, she. You know when you chant a word and it doesn't sound like a word anymore? That. Suddenly these like imaginary shrieking sirens going off, screaming emergency. And it feels like the sun beaming onto that playground disappears behind evil clouds shooting bolts of sharp teeth lightning while the ground beneath us suddenly cracks open. I'm frozen in an all of the crumbling turmoil on that playground. When I went into teaching six years ago, I did it for two reasons. One, 
Watching the U.S. education system cling to archaic philosophies that stifle the diversity of learners while lacking equity makes my fist turn into concrete. And two, I really like stickers. I, I, I actually really love stickers a lot. But it took some time for me to get into education, two decades of adulthood to be exact, because I was terrified to be a queer teacher. Rightfully so, queer teachers struggle in elementary environments all over, like most professions, where they're sublimity suggested to subdue themselves. Well, I suggest not telling anyone about that part of your life. My graduate professor's voice corkscrews out of the side of his mouth. I'm in my school assigned mentor's office during a check-in meeting about concerns I might have about my program. The stale coffee smell and flickering fluorescent light swirls around his expressionless face while he sits at a desk by shimmering trophies from his high school football coaching gig he breaks often about in class. We may have bonded on teaching theories, yet we weren't linking on our views about sexual privilege or what to do with those nerves I've been having about being a queer in the classroom. But that's hard sometimes, I say. It's not like I sound like James Earl Jones and saunter around like Captain America. Plus, kids are naturally curious about their teachers' lives. And your classwork is constantly reiterating about being a model and students have to admire you and look up to you and speak your truths and right, 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 right. You could do some of that. He cuts me off. Just don't talk about that part of your life. It makes people and parents uneasy. Keep the, the politics out of the classroom, especially elementary classrooms. His arms cross in front of his body, the clear signal that I'm also uncomfortable with this and we're done. Listen, I am proud of who I am, my queer community, the rainbow colors in my veins, that I have the healing that I've attempted over years of lying to myself and covering my identity. But what no one told me was that adulthood is often putting on a 40-hour-a-week 40, 40 illusion of heteroness. Even in a school like mine where kids talk about healing crystals that they use to focus themselves, this fear of like being found out in the classroom has been my own focus for years. And I feel like most queer people can relate. Like, tell me if I'm right. No matter how out and proud you are, you're still like 87% eloquently floating in a realm of cloudy discomfort. And it's, it's not like people ever say like, tone it down, queen. It's more of like that ruthless raised eyebrow from some coworkers or the tongue biting parents wanting to dig deeper into a conversation on how do I tell my kid about this? I've even had parents ask that their child leave the room if there's ever any talk of same-sex couples because they're so impressionable and we don't want that to rub off on them. And it wasn't actually until my very first stint of student teaching in a third grade classroom when queer teaching fearful fantasy became a reality. The teacher in the room was kind. The students were rude doo-doo heads. I bet he's gay, a student whispers behind his hands to his desk partner while I'm crouched down in their pod. I'm, what? what? Why did you just say that? My mom said it the other night when I told her about you. And she said that why? She said that men don't go into teaching elementary schools and they're usually gay and weird and I shouldn't try to be like you. For the rest of the time in that classroom, 
I literally found myself dipping my head lower as if that would drop my voice to octaves to be more alpha. I even stopped wearing my wedding band to school in fear of answering the questions I couldn't answer because they were too political. I felt uncomfortable wearing my wedding band, one of my proudest symbols. The funny thing about teaching is when you realize you're teaching everything you'd spent years trying to unlearn yourself. Now in my current classroom, I've learned that hiding my wedding band doesn't hide the truth any better. Mr. Byron, what did you do this weekend? I went on a road trip by yourself? Uh, sure, that sounds kind of lonely. It does, doesn't it? Mr. Mr. Byron, I saw you at Target last night. You did? Yeah, who was that guy that was with you? Just friend. Mr. Byron, why don't you have any pictures of your family on your desk like the other teachers? Don't you have a family? Of course I, I do. So you just don't have any pictures of them? I have a lot of pictures of my family. You shouldn't hide them from us. You should really be proud of your life. That's the other funny thing about teaching. Sometimes kids sting with such authentic exactness, you go numb. Because he was right. How many lies do I have to lie in this life until my truth is worthy? Now, back in the interrogation scene in the school playground with my fourth grade students clustered around me even closer than before, my gut wanted to respond to their questions about my wife with integrity, but my brain wanted to keep up this facade. So I take a breath and I let my stomach squirm settle and I say, it's not a she. And the kids were like, we knew it was a he. We were just testing you. And then I was like, excuse me? And I could have left it there, right? I could have just been like, shush about my social life. We're done. But if I shoo away the curiosity or even normalcy of these questions about my marriage from students or just wanting to get to know me better, I'm still living in that same shame. So when the kids started asking more questions about Nate, I fire away. Is he nice? They ask. Very. Does he like Beyonce as much as you? No, not even close. Should we see a picture of him? I show a picture of us from a vacation, them. Whoa, Mr. Byron, you're super short next to him. And then that was it. They all stopped asking questions because they wanted to go back to the classroom. At the end of that same day, one student, Travis, asked if he can hug me. He has this little blue backpack. It's plain when he gets to school, but then when mom and dad are gone, he clips Disney princess character pins on the outside. I noticed this daily routine, morning princess is out, in the, at, at the end of the school day, princesses are gone. He'd actually hide the pins in his classmate Emily's pencil bag for safekeeping at the end of the day, probably to keep it out of home site. I never want to stereotype my students, yet I was aware of this practice as aware as me hiding my wedding band during the day life, then sliding it back at night. Travis says, I'm really happy you found Nate. He seems really nice. He squeezes me again, harder than before. And then he looks up with these green eyes pooling with tears. Do you think maybe one day I could find my own Nate? 
And suddenly I'm 10 year old Byron all over again, thinking that this genuine kind of moment, this conversation would have changed everything for me at his age. And I had spent decades thinking I was destined to be lonely, using the map that seemed to give everyone else direction, but made me feel lost. I always knew I was different than other boys. And this is why representation matters. I know you will. I hope so. His reassured exhale nearly evaporates the tears from his eyes as he jogs off to his pickup line. This, this is the magic of being part of the queer community. You have this gift to educate with your bravery, your truth, and to light up the planet with the beam of your rainbow and uncover the shadows for others that you may have spent years fumbling within. And even if you aren't doing it in a school, being authentically you is a masterclass for the world. The joy of your truth, you're unapologetic, flawlessly flawed, yet perfectly poignant self brings to the room is what every damn person deserves to see. So let it be seen. I get to do that in a classroom with stickers. This story was produced by Ali Drum and Casey Truba, curated by Imi Tin, and directed by Jess Kadish, with music and sound design by Jay Rice. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.